Welcome to Lessons from the Healing Field, an ongoing journey from head to heart with Dr. Howard E. Richmond. Good afternoon and welcome. This is such a pleasure because today is actually New Year's Eve. It is December 31st of 2014. We're getting ready to welcome in a new year, and now I would like to welcome my co-host, the one and only, the fabulous Howard E. Richmond, M.D. Are you with me? I am here. (laughs) Hello and happy (laughs) New Year, Deb. Great to be with you. Isn't that fun to be able to do something on New Year's Eve and just because we can and we want to? Yes, it's a delight. It's a pleasure. It's a gift. Yeah, I think so too. Well, the first thing I'd like to do is read your bio for anyone that is tuning in for the first time, and that way it it tees them up for um, exactly uh, who you are and, and why you are the right person to bring your beautiful message of hope and peace and wonderment about the human psyche and the way the brain works and all that good stuff. So, um, let's see, I just lost my piece of paper. Oh, here it is. Transformational psychiatrist and author Howard E. Richmond, M.D., is an inspirational teacher and coach who greets people on their life's journey and guides them to create the best life ever. His lessons about releasing judgments and hidden emotions introduce a new language that fuels and stimulates personal growth. The Healing Field, his first novel, is a riveting account of the healing breakthrough that saved his anorexic patient's life and transformed his own. And, of course, we're talking a lot about the healing field itself, which is the book. Uh, But the cool thing is the healing field is also your field of expertise. So I think it's really great that we can talk about that in uh, in two ways, don't you? I think that's so cool that your your book and your field are the same thing. Yes, yeah, it's uh, it's a line. It's it's really for me. It's I'm passionate because it aligns my body, my mind, and spirit to a place and a space where I have that inner knowing that this is what I'm supposed to do, and um, that's a great space to be. And it takes work to, to get here and to stay here and to uh, just dig deeper in the here and now and see what we can create, how we can transform energy-draining patterns into energy-generating new creations. So that that's what it's about for me. Right. Well, the healing field itself, the book, is about many things. It's about pain and shame, hidden emotions, uh, baggage that can kill a person. It's kind of interesting to think that baggage can actually kill a person, but in the case of Lori, your patient, um, about whom this this story is written, um, her baggage was was killing her. I mean, she was she was going down for the count, wasn't she? Right, and for those um, who are not familiar with this story, it's uh, the novel, uh, it's a true, uh, let me say that again, it's um, it's a novel, a fictionalized account of my journey with a patient of mine who was dying from anorexia, and um, I only wrote about it because she, she insisted I do when uh, she started having what... Uh, what turned out to be a a spectacular and miraculous recovery um, through lots of shame 
and and guilt and judgment, physical pain and mental illness. So it's the story of how she got out of that, how we uh, worked together to get her out, and how it transformed both of us in a way that um, we've been sharing and, and getting really good feedback of how it's been affecting other people when they read that story and they see a mirror to their own lives, the parallels, what's universal in all of us, that journey through fear to love, the journey to get out of judgment and into a space where there's liberation. Well, I want to talk about the miraculous recovery, particularly the the miracle of her um, noticing that her back pain seemed to be healed, which we'll come to that in a couple of minutes. But this book is also, as I mentioned a minute ago, I think about hope and peace, and it's also about trust. And some of the ways that you and Lori interacted could be deemed out of bounds for your field of endeavor or outside the boundaries, let's say, for doctor-patient relationships. And yet you were both willing to go to places to kind of create new trust in order to get things moving. In other words, she was stuck, right? She was totally 100% stuck. So talk about how that trust was built over time and why that was so important for both of you to have that in your lives. Yeah, she was she was stuck. It took building up trust and you know Deb, because you've read the book at least two times, maybe even more. So she was really in a space that she was dying. And all roads uh, looked the same place to gloom and doom and um, the grave. And so um, it was that level of stuckness that sort of uh, kind of motivated me in a way that was beyond what I knew. And part of the journey was to develop that trust that I would be there um, working with her as best as she could show up. And sometimes uh, she showed up, many times she showed up physically and barely there uh, mentally. And it took a, a long journey. So that's the backdrop of where we veered off traditional paths that weren't working, and it took uh, the trust as one step to um, break through some barriers where where healing really started. Did that make sense and answer your question? It does, and and you know you were saying in the book even um, in in one of your uh, paragraphs it says he sensed and he being you uh, he sensed a moment when the trust he had carefully nurtured in their relationship was so solidly established that neither of them would mistake the other's intentions and I'm wondering how do we get to a place of that kind of trust with other people? I mean, how do you get to that place mentally and emotionally so that you can do that? In other words, who do I have to be myself in a relationship so that that strong of a foundation of trust can be created? Is that something you can answer in in this hour, or does it take oh, a couple months? <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's easier if there's a, there's a concrete example 
that we all can relate to on on a personal level so we could we could use one of our own stories we could use um a story uh from the healing fields where um it shows what it took to develop trust. So there's places in the book that we've discussed where Lori um, had kept many secrets in a vault of, of shame and judgment and fear, uh, in a vault in a place so well hidden, sometimes from her. And in that place of, of hiding, it was a great risk for her and a, and a necessity for me to help her if i knew what was in those vaults to the to the extent that she could release the pressure of hiding um the emotional shame uh, and her judgments so it took uh, a a a great deal of trust of risk of her uh, at times very timidly taking steps forward, uh, falling down and then getting up again and risking um, a judgment and condemnation. And when she consistently did not get that from me, that decreased um, her high level of mistrust and it decreased it at times long enough that some openings uh like a prism of light some openings of trust started to creep in they'd go away there would be a flood of <laughs> there would be darkness uh but then the the light would come back and then at times uh it was a huge circuit of transformation and the light really came in so that was part of the 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 journey of trust to get through the mistrust to uh unwind our own judgment uh, so that we can release unwanted emotions like shame or guilt or feelings of worthlessness and and hidden anger and feelings of betrayal that could never be released or expressed. So um, the healthy part is to be able to open that shame vault or that coffin of judgment to to open those up in a safe place where trust is being cultivated so that the the judgment can be reduced and released and the unwanted emotions like shame and the other ones can be released and then it opens the portal to to joy um and that's where we can really get energized, shifting those energy draining patterns into these energy generating new creations. So that's the healing field. That's the journey. Well, I can think of one place in the book that was really beautiful where that whole trust thing, where, where Lori was really feeling unsafe doing something that you were asking her to do. And it seems like such a simple thing you all you were asking her to do is look at herself and say i love you to her reflection to herself and she just did not want to do it she did not want to do it she did not feel safe doing it and yet she asked you to do it with her to hold her hand or to to be with her in such a special way that she could just go ahead and feel like the trust between the two of you was going to hold that moment for her so she could actually say, I love you, in the mirror. 
Do you want to say anything else about that? I just am so touched by that. Well, yes, and there was really one step before that she needed, and she she asked me to do it first. And I thought that was very valid and very fair. If I was asking her to look in the mirror and say, I love you, and then she challenges me and says, well, you go first, um, I said, sure. And so I did. I looked in the mirror and I said, I loved you. I, <laughs> I said, I love you. Uh, and I said it in a very natural, calm, genuine way. And then that gave her courage then to take another risk and ask me, okay, will you do it with me? Can we say it together? So we said it together several times. And then I took a step back and gently said, now, can you do it yourself? And she could. And she could. So that was the tiny steps that she needed to take, the the few blades of grass that needed to come out through the cement uh, to get to more space in the in the healing field in the garden. So that was the um, um, what was happening there. Well, I'd like to say that it's um, it's that mirroring in the mirror that opened the portal. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. It's a very, um, it's a a kind of a catchy way to say it, but it's, um, it it kind of also tells me that being around the right people, uh, when we need to be able to take another step in our lives to get to joy, you know, being around the quote unquote right people is probably such a boon because if you're with the toxic people or people that hold you back or people that don't hold you up in a way that is positive and all that stuff you can't really mirror in the mirror with that can you right right and too many bad seeds to continue the garden analogy too many bad seeds and weeds take over your garden and really contaminate the field so yeah our environment is very important um, that's part of taking care of our ourself in in a way that's beyond our our typical limited uh, view of ourself in, in a bigger way, so that we're taking care of our um, more consciously how we treat ourselves, our body, um, uh, how we use it, our our mind, our our thoughts. Are they more negative? Are they more generated by? by emotions that get stuck. When we start to pay attention to these things, um, that's where we, we have the, um, the transformation, the change, and that's where the, uh, it, it becomes the, the space where joy opens up. Exactly. The other thing that happened um, that I remember, too, just before she said, I love you, she also said, or, or let us know in the writing, that she did not feel or notice that she appeared so fat anymore. In other words, she was looking at herself in the mirror, and instead of feeling um, her normal four or five times her actual size, and that, may not even, that might not even be right, it might have been even more uh, multiplied more <laughs> the way she looked at herself at that time in her life, um, but she did not feel that way. And yet, earlier in the book, you coined the phrase, obese with shame about uh, Lori's opinion of herself. So 
I have uh, kind of an idea. If you read page 178, I think it is in the book, um, that, that's talking a little bit about that obese with shame. And then we'll come back and talk about that and how that happened. So this uh, scene in the book, my character's name is Henry Kaplan, or Dr. H, as Lori calls me. Uh, Lori is my patient. And um, I have a colleague uh, whose, whose name is Susan. So here's where it starts. Lori is obese with shame. Henry stood proudly at Susan's open door that evening before either of them left the office. What are you talking about? His colleague lowered her reading glasses as she looked up to him. Henry went into her office too excited to sit down. He described the tape measuring experiment he did with Lori. She's obese with shame. It makes sense to me now. All the emotions we consider to be negative, fear, Anger, sadness, worthlessness, guilt, and shame. They've gotten stuck in Lori, and they cause her to feel heavy. Susan put one earpiece of her reading glasses in her mouth and bit lightly on it, saying nothing. Lori experiences herself as fat. She feels heavy, as if she's wearing 200 pounds of body armor. Susan put the chart she was working on down. I've never heard those three words put together before, obese with shame. Henry inhaled with excitement. All those emotions, they're just energy, right? Susan squinted as if there was too much light in the room. Well, uh, yeah, I, I suppose you could say emotions have energy. Well, in Lori, Henry said, those emotions, the energy of them, especially shame and guilt and worthlessness, have stagnated. And those stagnated emotions, at least with Lori, have turned into mass. Susan stared at him dubiously. What have you been reading? All those emotions, all the trauma from her past, all those unhealed, unhealed wounds. Yes, Susan lifted both eyebrows. Henry continued, all those unhealed wounds have, been, have become massive. She is obese. She is obese with shame. That's why she feels, thinks, and experiences herself to be so fat. Henry inhaled a breath of satisfaction. She's obese with shame. Susan tilted her head to one side. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yes, I think so, too. Do you know what else that means? Do tell me, Inspector Clouseau. Susan humored him with a smile. Emotions not only hide, they don't know the calendar. Henry shrugged. Wow. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, Henry shrugged. Um, yeah, yeah, close the curtain. And the reason I say close the curtain is because that's it. That was it. That's when you figured out why she was... Um, not able to walk on full weight of, of her feet. You know what I'm saying? She, she, you, you wrote about how she would walk on the sides of her feet because she was so heavy that she couldn't, she couldn't walk full flat on her feet. I am just amazed at how brilliantly the two of you, Lori and you, were able to figure out what was going on. It, it's just, it floors me. Because I'm also thinking about 
other people who have an opportunity to read that same sentence, she experiences herself as blank. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and I think that's going to help a lot of people. Just reading that, they don't have to be a, a person with anorexia to get that this is very helpful. Yes, and and it was it was a it was a discovery that it started to make sense. It finally started to make sense what otherwise looks like non-sense. How could somebody so thin, so horrifically thin, perceive themselves to be so fat? It does not make sense. Now, when you stick around when you get closer and stay longer what we discovered well emotions can be uh stuck and they can be felt perceived as mass as as weight and and it makes sense when we start to quiet our mind and intuitively start to look inward and experience what it feels like when we start to feel certain feelings that we've been running away from. And when we start to slow down and start to be able to experience the emotions we've been running away from in a safe way, then we can start to tap into, wow, we can feel really heavy or weighted down or tied up or constricted or have this pain in our gut, some of the sayings that we use. So uh, emotions can hide, they can hide in the body. And so there's a number of hiding places of emotion. So it's it, it, it was and for me still is amazing to uncover and rediscover and see uh, the hiding places of emotions and start to uh, then see where they are all the time so that we can release the tension and the energy draining aspect uh, of when emotions get stuck. You know, I'm reminded of a time, oh my goodness, it's been 30 years ago now, when I was about to do something in my life that seemed like a good idea at the time, and yet every day I would wake up with a backache. I mean, kind of like Lori's situation, but I didn't have to have surgery or anything, and it was never as bad as hers. But um, I, I literally was was just thinking, oh, my God, my back is screaming at me. And I changed my mind about what I was getting ready to do, and the back pain yeah. stopped. Yeah. <laughs> so, it did. And so I realized that even though the decision I had to make was not going to be fun because I had to hurt somebody else's feelings uh, and basically tell him I wasn't going to marry him at, at that time, um, it was it was something that was necessary because my body was telling me, this is not the right thing for you right now. And I listened. Right. 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 You listened to your body. And and many people might shrug that off and say, well, that was coincidental or, okay, well, you held the tension there. Yes, and then when we stay a little longer and look a little closer, we can see that, well, yeah, emotions uh, can have weight and effect on our body and then cause muscular tension when we are in distress, emotional distress, and feeling guilty or 
um, afraid of hurting somebody else, then our body can react and then lock up. So it, it makes so much sense. It does. And and let's go ahead and talk about um, the, the back pain that Lori experienced right from the beginning of your, uh, you know, when you met her. That was one of the things that she presented with was extreme pain and uh, and just pretty much almost debilitating pain from her back uh, failed back surgery and then the miraculous recovery or the miraculous experience that you guys had in room 173 when you worked on her back pain with her and released it talk about that that was awesome okay um i'm I was leafing towards the, the the passage in the book. Pardon me. So That's okay. um, the the yeah the uh, the back pain. Um, Lori had ten years of of back pain, and uh, she took medication for the back pain, and that back pain was uh, uh, stuck in her body. And there was one time in the hospital I said, Lori, let's do let's let's try something. Would that be okay? And we had crossed that bridge from mistrust into trust. And in that space of trust, Lori said, Yes, okay. And I had been uh, doing some reading and research and educating myself on um, complementary uh, and integrative uh, ways of healing that was beyond my traditional training, such as uh, hypnosis, uh, guided imagery. And I did something that I, that I had not done before. I asked permission for Lori if I could touch each of her vertebrae from her cervical spine to her thoracic spine to her lumbar spine, and she said yes. And so I put my fingers, my thumbs gently and started from the top of her head and went down each vertebrae one at a time, and at each time I said an affirmation asking with the highest of intention for the release of pain and emotional shame, cleansing and clearing and releasing. It came to me intuitively as I was doing it down each of her vertebrae through her down her back toward her lower back. And then I left. And I came back the next day, and Lori was doing squats with her arms outstretched. She said, look, Dr. H., look, no more back pain. And I'm looking at her in that place of suspended disbelief, watching her squat up and down with her arms outstretched in a way I, I had never seen her ever remotely come close to being able to 
have flexibility in her spine. She was always scrunched, crunched up, uh, wincing in um, characteristic signs of, of physical pain, and it was released. And suspending disbelief in watching what was unfolding and the next days and then weeks and then months that the pain did not come back. Actually, it came back once briefly, maybe for a day or two. And other than that, it it didn't come back. It was a powerful transformation that we both witnessed And while there's no real simple and easy way to wrap one's mind around that, for me, in retrospect, it was a realigning of many things, of body, mind, spirit, of neuro circuits, of opening the heart, of breaking through the coffin of judgment, of further reducing that vault of shame and and opening up that portal to yes when i talked to lori um many many months later she she said that when i was doing that all she had uh in her mind when i was touching gently her spine all she had in her mind was was one word three letters that she kept saying in her head Yes, yes, yes. And that's what I was just looking for in the book, because I remember that you also said a prayer. And Mm -hmm. the prayer was beautiful. And you said, Dear God, dear Creator, dear Spirit, dear Universal Being of Love, may the tension, the pain, and the stiffness be removed released, and cleared from Lori's spine. May the strength in Lori's spine be restored and re-energized to allow her to have more freedom, mobility, and range of motion. And as you said, in her mind, she just kept whispering, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, thanks thanks for that, Deb. And I'm chuckling because my inner critic is trying to judge and shame me for not having that page available to to read. So I just kind of laughed at my inner critic. And uh, so thank you. <laughs> thank you for uh, <laughs> just a, a pause. It's always a teaching moment uh, when we can look at our inner critic and just go, yeah, I know, no big deal, let's move forward. Um, So thank you for reading that. Yes, because those words were very um, spontaneous, intuitive, and uh, really aligned with what she was struggling with. It wasn't something I really thought of or scripted or planned. And, And that was part of my own transformation transformation i had be, I, I was becoming more intuitive not just working with my intellect my cognitive mind as uh my training uh most predominantly was about the, more the cognitive part using that i was more getting in touch with other parts of my being uh that was useful uh in uh creating a healing field with lori 
a, a circuit, a partnership, a healing partnership. So that was um, uh, what was going on with me, and and therefore I just intuitively uh, used that with her, and to my surprise uh, and 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 delight and um, gratitude profound gratitude there was this transformation on a on a physical level uh, as well as uh, emotional and spiritual that was a powerful transformer in in the continuation of the healing journey that we continued to uh, work on together so the doctor and scientist in you felt uncomfortable about what you were seeing and feeling and noticing and witnessing, right? And then you just breathed into it, and there it is. And and here we are. So my question is, how does the power of prayer and the belief in miracles figure into our physical healing? Because we know it does. Well, that's a powerful question. <laughs> And I'm um, just the party to ask it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so just back uh, back just one slight back step. So, doctor, scientist, and me. Well, I think the integrated whole of me uh, felt not necessarily uncomfortable, not ready to judge uh, as I might have in the past because things uh, had been happening in our healing journey that had been opening up my mind more and more. Had it been maybe 10 years earlier or 15 years earlier, I might have gone right into judgment uh, and, and disbelief. And uh, the, So I was observing what was going on, and, um, and then things uh, unfolded. Now, the, the, the prayer, the affirmation, that I used with her um, it was intuitively very effective that the words that came through me because words are are like words are energy Wor- words are thoughts that can have emotional charge that can line up to sentence uh, and in prison or to sentence and free and liberate ourselves. So the the prayer or affirmation that I used, uh, calling on creator or higher power, and and that was very significant in Lori's personal journey because her exposure to those concepts uh, had become very negative, and this was part of her spiritual journey to be open to a God, a creator that wasn't uh, just that wasn't about judgment and and failure and punishment and obeying and repentance. So the openness to a, a God, a Creator, a higher power, uh, was is was very liberating to her and is very liberating to many people as well. And so there, it, it's very powerful the power of the words, uh, and in this context, the power of prayer or affirmation uh, how it can affect the mind how it can how it can open up and and um be a part of the healing process so it's not a black and white uh, uh um 
uh, construction, and it's a, it's a very important uh, part, as I have uh, witnessed and experienced uh, in our journey, to integrate body, mind, and spirit in an, in a way uh, in our healing that can be uh, powerfully transformative. Well, I like that you said that it's about the words and that words are energy and that they are... Um, such a powerful part of healing and it reminds me of the other episode that we have done of this show about the power of words to harm or heal and it's it's kind of in that same vein you know the the, the word choices um, and the conscious decision to pay attention to what you're saying and, and thinking in, in words um, is really um, helpful in anybody's journey I would say absolutely absolutely the words we use, uh, the hidden meaning, meanings that sometimes we're not aware of because it happens so quickly. When we slow down, get closer, stay longer, get quiet, observe, we can learn so much and slow down our reactions and eventually change them in ways that are more energy-generating and, and healing versus energy-draining and disease-making. Right. I, I want to go back to something else you said a minute ago about your field and the complementary healing and the uh, healing modalities and whatnot and the hypnosis and guided imagery and, and whatever, whatever other kinds there are. To make that decision, to consciously decide to explore those and integrate those into your practice, um, that happened... Um, Kind of early on in your uh, in your practice as a psychiatrist, didn't it? The, yeah, yeah, yes, it did. I would say that Laurie was definitely a, a part of that, and um, other patients of mine that um, were more particularly challenged or stuck. Those those patients were, in a sense, my teachers to help to inspire me to search for um, reasons why things weren't making sense so that, that I could make sense of this and, and figure out instead of already make a decision uh, that some people in the field might just stop at the label, this person is this diagnosis, so you treat them with this um, treatment, these medications, but what happens when that's not working? And that was clear to me that that wasn't working, and I wasn't ready to just say, well, that's too bad, that's a really bad diagnosis, and these people usually don't do well at all, so uh, there's not much we can do. I, I, I wasn't ready to, to conclude that. Uh, it, it crossed my mind at times, and and I, w I wasn't ready to conclude that. I, I was staying open, and along the way there was clues and things that happened that helped to fuel and generate my inspiration to stay on the lookout um, and and to to learn what I could. So it was very informative, instructive for me as well. Well, you also kind of got a little sideways with your former wife, uh, Gabriella. Um, that's her name in the story. I don't know what her name is in real life. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, um, 
when you were on your way to a conference to learn more about that kind of stuff. And it's on page 172, if you wouldn't mind reading for us, because I like the way you put that in the book. And then we'll talk about that when you finish uh, finish that passage. On 172? Sure. Um, yes, I have this passage. So, yes, Gabriella in the book is a, is a fictional character that's not my actual wife. It's a amalgamation. It's a fictionalized version. Uh, so she serves as a character and a subplot in the book that that had a parallel to my life in that I was getting a divorce. So I wanted to make that statement that this is not a uh, um, my ex-wife, but rather a fictional character. So here's where it starts. Oh, the, the the context is that um, there were there was a conference uh, in San Francisco in the book, and uh, it was an integrative medicine conference that was alternative and complementary medicine that was cutting edge and not traditional. Henry wants to go, and um, Gabriella says, Henry. Henry, you've got to be kidding me. Do you seriously want to spend four whole days around those people listening to their off-the-wall notions about oneness and miracles and all that nonsense? Gabby, Henry sighed, I can't believe you won't just be a little open-minded. Henry wanted to understand how these other professionals might deal with patients like Lori. Perhaps they had understandings that conventional medicine couldn't offer about why she felt so fat, yet was so dangerously thin. And maybe they'd even touch upon the effects of religious and spiritual conflicts that patients like Lori struggled with. It was certainly worth exploring. Henry had asked others in his profession how they would handle patients like Lori, but as often as not, their their responses were as frustrating as Lori herself. Sometimes they just fall silent, shaking their heads, silently concurring about how stubborn and challenging such patients could be, rejecting anything and everything conventional medicine had to offer. Gabriella asked, Do you actually get continuing medical education credit for a conference like that? Go if you want to. I'm still working on my dissertation. Gabriella's words stung, reminding him that the distance between them was growing deeper and wider. The more he strove to expand his own world, the more he felt his wife resisting and the more he felt the desire to live in a space of greater openness, exploration, and non-judgmental curiosity. With each passing week, he lamented, it became increasingly difficult to see a pathway for them to find each other again. Even as he chafed against Gabriella's derision of his alternative approaches to therapy, Henry was deeply gratified that his unconventional way of reaching out to Lori was opening up windows of light in her dark interior. He tried to comfort himself with the idea that since she wasn't going with him, he'd be able to relax a bit more. That night, he stayed up late, 
watching the quarter moon rise over the ocean, thinking about his complicated, desperately ill patient. He felt as though he'd been on a four-year ride through an endless expanse of desert, the road heading nowhere. He felt desperate for some way to finally, convincingly, enduringly reach her and help her break through the distortions of her ego mind. And we really need for people to read the book to find out what happened next. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because that's um, an amazing part that happens for several pages, everybody. And you'll want to know what he did, and what it ha- and why, and how it broke. It broke everything open. So um, I want to ask you: Can there be miracles if you're doing straight up psychiatry or conventional medicine? I mean, is it possible for the doctor and the patient to create miracles? Can it be one-sided? Can you be can you be ready for a miracle and your doctor not be? Am I asking a weird question? <laughs> so pick a question in there. Well, I can speak most authentically on my journey and my experience and my own transformation from what my associations to miracles or bias about miracles in the past uh, were and how they've changed over time. So even how I associate with the word miracle is much different today than it was many years ago. And so in my experience, and particularly with with Lori, and it's helped me see the miracle in everything. And it's it's a very different point of view of when we start seeing the miracle in everything in a way that reminds us when difficult things come up, when we're doing the work the best we can to ke- take care of those things that set off alarm bells, that w- that we cultivate time to to get still, be, be silent, and, and work our way out of the uh, disaster mode that can be so debilitating. And uh, then oftentimes, not in necessarily in clock time, that our ego mind wants to see the miracle at the snap of the finger. When we get out of the ego mind time clock, when we get out of chronological time into what Carolyn Mace says is uh, uh, kairos, and that's uh, non-linear time in the timeless space, then, then, then it's all a miracle. So, yeah, miracles can happen. And... I don't know who knows exactly how they happen and when they we hold the space that they can. And also we need to take responsibility for what we can change. Then, yes, miracles can happen. Well, I think that's what was so great about that passage you just read where you were talking about um, the character, your character, felt the desire to live in a space of greater openness, exploration, and non-judgmental curiosity. That is a wonderful place to hang out. Yes, 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 it is, Deb. Yes, it is. And when I hear those words again, 
it, it reminds me when I look back because this was already um, 15 years ago that I was uh, th- that this happened, and so I was discovering this. Now you know those words they to me they're just fluent. They make a lot. They make a lot of sense. And then when I look at it with my uh, a wondrous child, that part of the self that can show up and say, "Hey, let's look at this as if it's the first time." Then it's like, "Yeah, wow!" The, those those words, um, the power of those words that that can translate uh, that that transformational space of of openness and uh non judgment and observation because that's not our autopilot mode as we know that's not how the world seems to run or society seems to run or our, even ourselves that's now not how it seems to run when we start to infuse this consciousness or this awareness in in our mind we can start to make shifts we can start to uh, get more out of the battlefield and into the healing field. And that's the work, and it takes work, and it takes energy, and the energy that we invest pays off dividends. Sometimes that's challenging because um, our ego mind wants immediate gratification. We want to see results right away. So part of the challenge is to remember that and to slow down and breathe through that so we can get out of that trap of our own self-judgment that healing isn't happening fast enough. I think that's what I really love about this book, by the way, is all of the wow things that there are to unpack. And I think the one for today for me is that stuff we were just talking about, that openness, exploration, and non-judgmental curiosity. And you mentioned it you know, in terms of that childlike um, uh, opening your eyes in a childlike way and, and looking at it again as if you haven't right. been fluent in it. And I'm thinking, can we, mm, I was going to say, can you and I make an agreement for a new a new language or can I hand off to you and you do it, um, to not have it be so much childlike as for it to be maybe consciously seeking joyful adult-like. Because do we have to be childlike to be in joy, or can we not be consciously seeking adults? Well, by now, Deb, you know me <laughs> as a yes-and person. So, And you know that I love my assortment of metaphors, um, and one of them people might discover uh, the committee that includes the child and that joyful, wondrous space. Uh, it can transcend all of the committee members and our whole being so that whether we prefer to call it our adult or child, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it's the association and the relationship. And again, the the message of the of the lesson of the power of words that have meanings so that that the language becomes more like gumby more flexible uh and more fluent intuitively that we're we're speaking this new language that of of more openness uh with with uh, less judgment and that's just joyful um 
whatever metaphor we use and whatever we call it, that's the good stuff. Well, did you see how I wanted to make it linear? And you are able to say, <laughs> it doesn't have to be linear, Deborah. <laughs> I wanted it to be linear. <laughs> You're not cooperating with me. I want clock time. I want it to be linear. <laughs> well, thank you for recognizing that. Um, I think it was maybe what comes to my mind is box, because our brain thinks in boxes. We're yeah. just familiar patterns, so it, it, it's it's our natural propensity. So we we sort of want to, okay, check that box, or so that that's the sort of linear association, and and as we've talked about many times, the the healing field is about getting out of the box and all the different boxes that we can we can unconsciously get stuck in. And, and the lesson with Lori, she was stuck in this in this box, in this box that was suffocating and so narrow and constricting. She was so thin in the physical realm and felt so huge in the in the non-physical uh, energy field. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's all it's it's all fun to 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 see it unfold. It is, it is. And I do like checking off the boxes, and I do like my stuff, you know, in order. And I am also, um, I hope, one of your best students, because I always want I always want to get an A as well. <laughs> and I, I do try, I really do, I do try to get the language right. And eventually, and now here's my inner critic going crazy. <laughs> but, um, you know, it just takes time, and it takes um, practice, 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 awareness, 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 times 10. See, I can do that part really well, huh? <laughs> but it's, um, it's, your, it's your gift to the rest of us to do the yes and, you know, to say, yes, that part, you nailed it. And, and if we can just look at it another way on the rest of it, this would be, you know, what I would suggest. I love the way you do that. I never, I never feel offended or put down or wrong, you know. I, my own inner critic may go off, you know, half-cocked, but I never feel that way about what you're saying to me, and I thank you for that. Thank, you're welcome, and, and thank you, Deb. Thank you for that. That's part of what I, and we've talked about um, what I call training to become a black belt in the emotional martial arts where when we practice this more and more and I say to my patients or clients that I coach that I've been practicing this longer than most people that I know uh, and so creating that place where you don't feel like you're being judged or wrong at least by me and then you can see, oh, okay, your inner critic, um, just before you could even say, hachu, is, is is judging you. That's a lesson for all of us, and that's part of, and that's why I like the, the metaphor of emotional martial arts. Like in the martial arts, you just start from a, a, from no belt to white belt, and you keep on training, so it's not about how fast we get it. That's That's our... In the committee language, that's the the critical parent or the judge uh, that wants us to uh, get it quicker and sooner. And often that's because uh, in childhood, if we didn't, there would be negative consequences. 
So these are powerful lessons to to digest and to um, look at again and repeat, practice, and, and we get better at it, like like any endeavor. Well, thank you. And, you know, you have been planting beautiful garden for the last couple of years, finishing the book, um, working on new websites and ways to be with people, and you've got a Facebook page that's that's gorgeous. And I know that you really are building a community for a reason. And I believe that I could speak the reason, but it would be better if you do. So maybe you could also do it in terms of 2015 and what you would like to see for your immediate world, maybe the world that encompasses even bigger ripples outward and then however big you want to go. So what's your vision? Again, Deb, (laughs) you come out with these Liberty Tower questions, so I I love that about you. And what I'm drawn, what what that that question so eloquently stated, what what that draws me to dial into um, a couple of quick little short stories. Um, I received a, a letter from a reader um, who said the book, uh, particularly uh, one particular chapter where I had written a prescription to Lori that said anger is okay, that that, um, that chapter in particular in the book as a whole was so very powerful for her that um, it helped her work through in therapy a, um, a, a sexual abuse that she had uh, been victim to uh, as, as a teenager and that anger had been repressed and it wasn't okay. Um, another uh, story somebody shared with me that the book um, and a conversation with a friend of a friend um, uh, triggered this person to seek some help and lose her judgment that it was weak to seek help. So when I hear stories like this, um, I am very grateful uh, for uh, the power of the word in the form of the book, in the form of the message of uh, learning how to uh, lose our judgment and work with those um, those emotions that can be really scary. So my vision is that more and more people uh, are exposed to this language uh, and this message that uh, uh, when we stay with it uh, can be powerfully transforming. And as you know, when we work on ourselves in, in this way, we're helping others when we work on waging inner peace, we're not waging outer or inner war. So that helps other people as well when we have the, uh, the, the courage to face our fears and our judgments uh, because there's another side of that, that that's the healing field. That's beautiful. And I would like to just say that waging inner peace just even saying that that way is so loaded with wonderful stuff. 
that's my vision for for not just 2015 it's just to continue like Johnny Appleseed to throw it, throwing these seeds so that others can start planting these seeds in their garden and so that it will sprout more uh energy and momentum to catch on that we can help ourselves and one another uh, with the notion of waging inner peace. And there's less and less drive to to wage outer outer war and and also inner war. Well, let's just congratulate our inner critics because they've they've both, you know, yours have shown up today and mine did too. (laughs) So they can just kind of, you know, hang back for a moment while we celebrate the fact that we have done Another episode, I think this is our ninth one, and it's um, it's it's big doings. It's and the reason I say it that way is because we cover a lot of ground, and we say a lot of wonderful things. And I know that we are helping other people um, connect with something inside themselves that they probably might not have done otherwise. So I feel really good about the time that we spend together on these uh, on these episodes that we have. So. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here with me and letting me do this with you. And I hope that you have an amazing 2015. And uh, we should tell people that your book is called The Healing Field, A Young Psychiatrist's Battle with His Anorexic Patient, Her Hunger Strike Against God, and Their Journey Through the Dark Night of the Soul. It is available on the website, howardrichmondmd.com, and the Facebook page, again, is uh, accessible from there as well. It's a beautiful community. The time is now, and I will let you say the final words as we say our goodbyes for today. Well, thank you, Deb, for those words and the acknowledgement and your experience uh, working with me and doing this work. It's it's an honor and pleasure and privilege to do this with you so that we could share it with other people. And so I was chuckling inside um, when you mentioned the, the critic, our critics. And so, yeah, I like, I like to actually um, applaud the, the critic, and, and the critic takes a bow uh, because then uh, the critic doesn't have to be judgmental anymore. And, and part of the healing journey is to uh, develop a relationship with the critic uh, that's healthier and healthier, that the critic has less and less power so that we can open up that space to say, hey, yeah, this is good work, and, and this brings us joy and it's bringing other people joy because when we heal the pain that that gets stuck then we have more capacity for joy so this is uh, it's a joy doing this with you so i i wish you and our listeners and readers uh, a very joyful new year well thank you all right and i i hit our music but i don't know if it actually played so i'm going to hit it again and we're going to say goodbye for now and thank you so much bye bye thank you Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.